Okay, we're, we're doing a little, something a little bit different this morning. We're not in 1 Peter, we're in the book of Acts. So if you want to find the book of Acts, which is, just comes in the New Testament after the Gospel, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to read a few verses together in a moment. Um, and we normally, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter, so we're just taking a bit of a break from that for a week. And the book of Acts is perhaps one of my favorite books in the Bible because it's this wonderful story. It's the story of the church, the people of God, the very first churches that you find. And it's how the first Christians, how they responded to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is what they did. They went and started churches, and they went from this group of kind of slightly terrified believers in this room in Jerusalem, in Israel, praying and asking God and saying, what was that all about and what's next? On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and fills them and this group of petrified believers turns into this dynamic army of God that goes all across the Middle East and all across Europe and, and even to all around the world to where we are today in this powerful move of God. And one of the most amazing things about the book of Acts is it's a story of regular people, essentially. These are just, they're not superheroes. They're men and women just like us, who, but they've caught hold of a vision and they're empowered by the Holy Spirit and you get this incredible story of what's going on. And one of the main characters in this story is a guy called Paul who ends up writing a good chunk of the New Testament. And we meet him first of all uh, as someone who was, he was called Saul and he was attacking the believers, he was persecuting them. And all of a sudden God encounters him powerfully on the road to Damascus. This, he's uh, on this road and this bright light comes and, and, and stuns him and he falls over. Uh, and God comes and suddenly breaks into his life and he's completely transformed from that moment on. And the book of Acts goes on and tells his story of how he ends up going through Palestine and Syria and Turkey and Greece and Cyprus and we get in, in chapter 21 of Acts, he finds himself back in Jerusalem. He preaches the gospel. He tells them all about Jesus. And basically, he starts a riot um, and things get a bit messy. He gets arrested. And then in Acts 26, which is where, where we're reading from today, we find Paul and he's before uh, a guy called Festus, who's a Roman governor and King Agrippa. And Chapter 26 of Acts is Paul just sort of telling his story of what God's done in his life. Um, so that's where we're going to pick up the story. So I'm going to read from verse 19, and we're just going to read a few verses together. So this is Paul talking to Festus and King Agrippa. It says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, 
performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Let me pray. God, we thank you that um, as Paul can testify, and we can do the same, we can testify of this wonderful relationship that you've called us into for those of us who are believers in you that you've broken into our hearts through our sin and through our, all, our, all the ways we've turned our back on you, you broke into our lives, revealed your grace to us. You turned our lives around. You sent your Holy Spirit to live within us that we can also testify of the help that comes from God, God in us. And thank you that Paul was a man just like us. And I pray, Father, as we study your word this morning, that you would do something in our hearts, that you would come and light something within us, a passion, a desire of fuel in our hearts to serve you and your kingdom and your plans. Amen. Amen. See, the, the Apostle Paul, this man that I've been talking about and just reading some of his story, he lived this life consumed with, with a, a vision, with a passion, with a plan, something in mind. He says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I wanna, that's the one verse I really want to talk about this morning. And I guess a good question to ask is, what is, what's your vision? What's the dream that you carry in your heart, if you have one? What's the singular passion inside of you that, that drives you? Or maybe that, that used to, maybe you've forgotten or you've let it die, or maybe you're a bit scared even, or embarrassed and you've locked it away. I'm sure for each of us, there's something either that you've always dreamed about, something that you know even that God's put in your heart. You think, yes, that's what God has for me to do. That's what I want to do with my, with my life. Lawrence of Arabia, if you're English, you'll know who he is. He said this, all men dream, but not all equally those who dream by night in dusty recesses of their mind wake to find it was all vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous, for they may act their dreams with open eyes and make things happen. And we live in a city of, of dreamers, artists, designers, all sorts of different people who, many people come to Amsterdam, they come to this city to fulfill their dreams. 
to live out the life that they want to live. Maybe that's why you're here, because you've got a passion that you've come here to try and fulfill. Or many people find themselves here because they're trying to find even freedom from, from tyranny. They've had to escape from a certain country or a certain issue or a situation in their life, a relationship that they've run away from to come here. And they want to have, their dream really is just to have freedom from, from that, that thing that they've, they've left behind. There was a, an exhibition in the, the, the Newerkirk in, in Dadam Dam Square, um, which was called We Have a Dream. And it was about Martin Luther King and Gandhi and Nelson Mandela. And in the center, there was a, re, a reflection area where you could go and after seeing all these stories of these three great men and all that they achieved, and it asked questions like, who am I? And how do I want to be seen? And what is my dream? And that's the sort of question that people have in this city. And in a way, it's a good question to ask. In a way, it's quite a selfish question to ask. What is my dream? What do I want to do with my life, my purpose, my plans? And we can live with these dreams and aspirations. And particularly in the Western world, we can feel a sense of entitlement. We, we can feel like, well, I, I deserve to have these things. Because the culture around us promises us so much. It tells us that if, if we have a desire in our heart, we should be able to have it. We should be able to get it. That we should be able to receive what we want. But all of us have to live up to the fact of what happens when those dreams and those plans and those things we desire, the good and the bad, what happens when we don't get those things? When we fail in pursuing our dreams? Or even sometimes when, when we achieve them, when we reach them and find out that they weren't all, they didn't live up to what they thought they would, that they let us down. And we think, oh, I had this, I thought when I hit this place, when I did this thing, when I achieved this thing, I'd be happy. And then you suddenly get there and you realize, oh, it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. What happens when, you know, life is just hard or the course that you're studying is just difficult or your boss is just a pain in the backside or the people around you the people in your family just drive you around the bend and many of us will come to this city with all these dreams and aspirations and ideas and then have to deal with this sense of oh this wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be and it's not a bad thing to dream as I said I think God has dreams and plans and purposes for us, things that he's put in your heart, in your life. It, I thought, found it so inspiring for those of you who were, who were here with us last week at the, the Postonkirk to hear from Yoel and his journey into politics, how God gave him a dream as a young man and he spent his life pursuing it and God's opened up all these doors for him to have influence in so many different ways in our nation. I found it inspiring that he'd pursued his dream. He'd run after what God had for him. But a good question, and what I want to talk about this morning, is when Paul says that he wasn't disobedient to his heavenly vision, how he followed the plan that God had for him, is how do we 
How do we do that? How do we follow our, how, follow our dreams? And the first thing I want to say is that, that dreams that really last, the best way to live out what you want to do with your life is within community. It's with people around you. Because our, our dreams are often very personal, aren't they? There are things that we want to do. My dreams, my plans, my purposes. But God's plans, his dreams, tend to be corporate. They're about a people. How he wants to use a people together. And we can read even the story of the book of Acts. And we can see all these great heroes. But it's actually not about individuals doing amazing things. It's about God working through a people to take the gospel to the whole of the world. It's not just stories about individual courage. And even those bits of the book of Acts where it does tell stories of individual courage, what often it leads to is a remarkable breakout in community life, in something happening amongst the people of, the people of God. And you can read through the backs. And one of the most striking things about it is just all the different people that are in it. Sometimes even just, just little references, but people again and again and again who keep appearing, doing different things, achieving different things. Sometimes all they're doing is just opening up their home. Sometimes they're just helping to serve the poor. But just again, the book is full of names of people. And for Paul, he understood his mission, his dream. He understood it within the context of the church, the people the people of God. Because he, in, uh, in a few verses that we didn't read a bit earlier on in Acts 26, he says, this is what God said to him, that I'm sending you to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light. And these verses, Paul's quoting from Isaiah chapter 42, which is Isaiah 42 is, in one hand, it's about Jesus, this servant that came to suffer and die for us. But it's also a chapter that's about the church, the people of God, what we're supposed to do, that we get to come and, and, and open the eyes of the blind to bring prisoners from the dun dungeon, to set people free. And that's part of the mandate, the purpose of the church is to go into the world around us and to bring freedom, to release the captives, to serve the poor, to love people around us. And I say this again and again, and I'll keep on saying it. The, the, the church, the people of God, this community, this is God's plan A for a broken world. If you read the Bible, that, that's God's answer. He sends Jesus, and then Jesus sends his church, us, the people of God. That's God's plan. So when we look at the brokenness around us, even in our own lives, but in the city around us, there's so much beauty and wonder in our city, but there's also lots of pain, difficult situations, things that we would rather not even think about or talk about. God's answer is, is us. Not just us, but many other churches as well in this city, but his, his people. That's his plan. That's how Paul understood it. And, and our vision what we would have seen if we could see this video and what I was talking about a bit before is our vision is to start communities like this all across Europe. 
in cities like this, cities which are influential, cities that shape the world around them, is to start many communities like this. And that's what we're going to be giving into next week in, in, this, in this gift day. And also for us here, we want to expand and we want to bless what we're doing here. At the moment, we're in the stages of finalizing an agreement to open up more space for us on a Sunday because particularly with our kids, they're, if you go downstairs, there's kids like in cupboards and in nooks and crannies. We're just squeezing them in everywhere. And we've only really got two solutions. Either we just get rid of some and say, okay, no more kids. We've sent a few off on a, on a bus tour. They'll be back in a couple of months. Or we try and get some more space. So that's what we've been negotiating about doing, opening up some more space for us on a Sunday. And also some space we can use in the week as well. But that's going to cost us financially. There's a cost to that. So part of what we're going to be giving into is next week is that to help us open up more space for us as a church. Um, and sometimes it can sound very practical and very mundane, but this is all part of what we're trying to do here in this city is um, every Sunday is to fling open our doors and invite the city to come and meet with Jesus. And we'll keep doing that week after week. And there's much more that the church can do as well, but that's a big part of it every week to invite people in and share the message of Jesus, the story of who he is and what he's what he's done. Secondly, Paul understood that for him to follow his dream, he recognized that there would be, there'd be suffering, that you have to suffer. There's a wonderful bit in, in Acts chapter nine where it's telling the story of Paul's conversion. And what happens is, is that uh, God's, talks to a man called Ananias and tells him to go to Saul after Saul's been struck down with his blinding light. And he goes to, and he tells this guy to, to go to Paul and tell him this. He says, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That's the message that Ananias has to take to Saul or, or Paul, that he's going to suffer and if you read the story, Ananias doesn't do that. <laughs> he goes from and prays that he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, <laughs> which is great, isn't it? He? he just completely uh, decides, I'm not going to tell him about the suffering bit. I'm going to actually give him what he really needs is the power of God in his life. But Paul understood that the vision that God had given him was, was, a, was a dangerous one was going to be hard. There'd be hardship to it, even in the passage that we read. He says, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. He's not exaggerating. This isn't hyperbole. This is what happened. And the vision that God gives his people at the start of the book of Acts, again, is a dangerous one. It's a famous verse. If you're a Christian, you'll probably be familiar with. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it's the sort of verse that we get excited about. We think is brilliant. And we think, yeah, a witness. I'm going to go and tell people about Jesus and his power will help me to do that. But that word witness, actually the best way to translate that would be as, I'm going to give you power to be martyrs. That's, it, the word is martyrs, where we get the word martyrs from. So actually the way they would have read it is, 
that they would have understood God's going to give us power to tell people, but also to suffer, maybe even to have to die for the name of Jesus. This was a, a hard calling that they had. This is, a, this is a dangerous vision that God's given them. And if you want to achieve something amazing with your life, you'll discover that it's hard work. I'm sure we all know this in different ways. If you're a parent, you'll know that's hard work, right? It is. It's hard work. So many things that we're called to, we, we have this ideal in our mind that they're going to be exciting and amazing and fun, and then we discover that actually they're, they're painful sometimes, and they're difficult, and they involve disappointments and frustrations. But if we're going to achieve anything in life, sometimes we just need to realize that there's going to be suffering involved. And Paul, he also understood that he needed, he needed help from God. He needs help from God. He said, to this day, I've had the help that comes from God. That's part of his testimony that he shares. And the story of this, the book of Acts, as I said at the start, is this is very ordinary people serving an extraordinary God. That's what the story is about. And as, as humans, as men and women, we want to we wanna partner with the best and the brightest, right? I remember being at school, and you have this moment where they're, you know, they're picking the football team, they're picking the sports teams, and you've got those two captains, and they just pick the best players because they just want the best players on their team. And then, you know, there's always someone left to the end. Not me, because I was one of the best. But, you know, Len, they would obviously pick at the end, because he's not quite so good. <laughs> he's going to get me later. I shouldn't have said that. And that, that's, what, that, that's what we do. And, you, and they, they play the game, and the two best players would always just pass to each other and wouldn't play with anyone else. And yet, what God does is he takes sometimes the least skillful people, the least worthy people, and he, he uses us, and he gives us the ball, and he allows us to serve him. He, he gives us a role, something to do. And, you know, Paul is not exactly the prime candidate to take the message of Jesus all across the Middle East, all across Europe. Why, why would he pick Paul? And what actually happens is, that uh, he, he, after uh, he receives this vision and Ananias comes and prays for him, he goes to, to start preaching, to start telling about Jesus, and the believers just run away. <laughs> They're just scared of him. Like, you were persecuting us, and now you want to tell us about Jesus. Yeah, sure. And they all just flee away from him. They're scared of him. And you think, God, maybe you've picked the wrong person here. Everybody's afraid of this guy, and you want to use him? And yet, God does. He uses him powerfully in many different ways. You see, it's, it's God plus you is an unstoppable force. It's an overwhelming team. The thing is, we try and do it by ourselves. We think, well, me plus maybe a little bit of God, you know, that's fine. That's the way we're going to do it. But it doesn't work. But when we add ourselves to God's team, when we ask for his help, his power. Because 
if you want to do something great for God, as I said before, it will be hard. But actually, the best thing to do really is to, is to realize it's probably going to be impossible. <laughs> it's going to be impossible. Hudson Taylor, who was a, a missionary to China, he said, uh, he said this, there are commonly three stages in the work for God. First, impossible, then difficult, then done. That's, that's how it works. And you know what? I want to live with dreams that, that really are impossible. Because if they were possible, then maybe I could achieve them. But if they're impossible, then it's only really God can do it. I'd much rather live with those sort of dreams. That, you know, unless God shows up, this isn't going to work. That's the sort of thing I want to live my life for. I don't want to have small puny dreams. I think, yeah, that's, that's achievable. I think I could do that. I want to lay my life down and say, God, what do you want to do? What are the things that I can't do but you can do? I want to live for those things instead. And Paul, he also understood that this, for him to follow his dreams, he knew that it had to be it had to be a vision that was, that was all, about, all about Jesus. A vision that was all about Jesus. See, because Tim Keller says that taking some incomplete joy of this world and building your entire life on it, that's the definition of idolatry. And if our mission, if what we want to do isn't grounded firmly in God... It could just become an idol in our life. It can just be some, something that consumes us and the vision becomes all about that thing. And we could, we could play a starring role in our story or we could actually say, do you know what? I'd rather play a supporting role in, in God's story. I'd rather serve him and see where that takes me, what epic adventure he has for me. Because... A good question to ask yourself is, is it just my vision and my dream that I want God to come and bless? Or is it actually his dream that he's called me to do and that I'll serve him no matter what? There's a difference there. And a, a good test to figure out which way round you've got it is to ask, what, what, would happen, what would happen if you couldn't do it? As in, what would happen if it failed? and it went wrong, would you still be happy? Would you be able to still find contentment in God if the thing that you wanted to do, you couldn't do? That's a good question to ask yourself. I remember when we, when we started this, this church plant, Joe and I moved here uh, in the summer of 2014, so coming up to four years ago, and we started with a group of about 12 adults and the same as now, lots of kids, but we had 12 adults. That's how we started the church. And after a few months, um, we still had 12 adults. And I was carrying this big dream in my heart of what God wanted to do in this city, but there was, there was 12 of us. And I got to, a, to a, a place where I was just praying and saying, God, I mean, I was praying a lot, but I was praying, God, what are you going to do? When are you going to move? And I felt God lead me just to pray you know, God, this is, this is your dream. This is your plan. So if in, in five years' time or in 10 years' time, 
If there's still 12 of us, that's okay. I, I just had to try and settle my heart with that reality. That if, if this was the best that God had for us, I was going to be happy with that because I wanted to find my contentment, my happiness in God, not in the dream, not in the vision. It's not going to be if, if this church fails, then, then I failed and that's the end and disaster. I was like, well, if this doesn't work, we'll just go and do something else. We'll just go and follow the next thing you have for us. And God just led me to pray that. And then <laughs> a few weeks later, we, we found out that a couple that were part of this 12 were leaving and we were down to 10. And it was God's way of saying, are you sure? <laughs> are you really sure that this is what, that you can be happy? And I just, again, set on my heart and say, okay, if there's just 10 of us, I'm gonna be happy. And I'm gonna find my peace and my delight and joy in him. And I want this vision, this dream to be about him, not about, not about me. And then the final point, Paul understood it wasn't just a vision about Jesus, it was a vision of Jesus. Because if you try and find out and read, so what, what happened on this road when this blinding light came? What, what did Paul see? What was the vision that God gave him? What was the plan? And at the time, God doesn't really give him a plan or a vision. And then when Ananias comes and prays for him, God doesn't really say anything to him. The vision really, what Paul saw, what captured his heart was he saw Jesus. He met Jesus. And that was the thing that, that captivated him. That's the thing that he decided to, to, to waste his, his life on. I had a, I was talking to my dad recently and he told me this story of, of an old school friend that, that he came across. And they'd not seen each other for 50 years because apparently they never found each other on Facebook, you know, that obviously didn't exist 50 years ago. So they'd lost contact and uh, they'd both moved around different places and then it ended up both of them living very close to where they went to school. They bumped into each other one day. So I said, hey, let's, let's, we've not seen each other for 50 years, let's catch up. So my dad met with this guy and my dad remembered that when he was at school, when they were teenagers, that this guy had dreamed about becoming a pilot about becoming an airline pilot, that had been his dream, what he'd always wanted to do. So my dad said to him, you know, did, did you ever get to fly a plane? And this man kind of got, got a bit angry, got a bit bitter, and then just told this story of how that is, his dad had been an airline pilot, so he wanted to be an airline pilot, and he'd spent thousands of pounds of probably his dad's money learning to fly a plane. Uh, and then he'd applied to all these airlines and they'd all turn him down. And he kept applying after year after year, kept applying, and they all turned him down. The worst thing was that his brother became quite a successful stunt pilot, flying all sorts of planes, doing all sorts of crazy things, and he never got to do it. So in the end, out of just frustration, he joined the cabin crew and he became a steward on the plane, which isn't a bad thing to do at all, that's a great job. He got to travel all over the world, but he never enjoyed it because he was always just a meter away from the thing that he actually wanted to do. You know, there's the guy in the cockpit actually flying the plane and he's, he's serving the drinks, getting frustrated that the thing that he really wants to do, he couldn't do. And that was his career. He did that for about 35 years. 
a steward on a plane, whereas actually he always wanted to just be, just be the pilot. And the thing is, my dad met this guy who was just, who was just bitter. <laughs> it just did. It had eaten away at his soul day after day, week after week, year after year. And th that can be true for us. We can spend our life living for something and always feel we're not quite there. We're always just a meter away from the cockpit. And it can eat away at us. But actually, the worst thing to happen, actually, probably even the worst thing for this guy would have been if he'd actually got to do it and realized that that wasn't the thing, you know? That that wouldn't have actually made him happy. And that's the, the message that you need to hear. That this dream, the thing that pulsates within you, you might get to do that, but it's not the thing that's going to make you really happy, not deep in your soul. It won't really satisfy you. Because what, what Paul understood is his whole mission and his purpose wasn't wrapped up in, I'm an apostle, I get to do these amazing things. His whole mission and purpose was wrapped in, I'm just going to follow Jesus wherever he takes me. I, I'm going to, he, he'd, he'd, he'd caught hold of a vision of Jesus which transformed his life. And he spent his life with his eyes fixed on him saying, wherever you take me, I'm going to go. Whatever you've called me to do, whatever path you have for me, that was his heavenly vision. And for us as well, we, each of us, we, we, we come to a, a savior, we come to one who, Jesus, more than anybody else, knew what it was to be obedient to a heavenly vision. You know, Paul quotes from Isaiah 42 about this suffering servant. As I said, that was all about Jesus. He came and he lived a life. He died a brutal, horrible death for us. He lived out a vision for his life that none of us would want to live out, that no man has ever lived out, but he lived it for us to come and bring freedom to you, to die for all the things, all the, all the times when, even when you've just let yourself down, all the times you've let God down, all the times you've made mistakes, all the regrets that you have, He's come to die for you. He lived out a vision of his life to give you a glorious new life. Why don't we stand together and let me pray. Why don't you just, um, just in your heart, just, just come to Jesus and... Uh, just bring that, that dream, that, that vision, that plan. Maybe it's something that you're presently living with and fighting for. It's the thing that gets you up every morning. Or maybe it's something you've abandoned a long time ago and you've given up hope on. And Maybe you even just feel horribly let down by it. Wherever you're at, just... In your heart, just come and bring it to Jesus now. And just say to him, God, your will be done. Your kingdom come. If you actually don't want me to do this thing at all, that's okay. 
If you've got something better for me, then please show me what it is. But if it's not this, that's okay. And even if it is this, what I really want it to be about is you, Jesus. I want you to birth in my heart a vision of you, of serving you, of spending my whole life in utter worship to you. Jesus, that's how we want to live. We want to live lives of adoration and worship to you with every action, with every thought, with every activity. We want to be uh, using those as, as offerings of worship to you. Not because we've got to try and win something, but as people who walk in your grace. We just want to now because you've transformed us. We pray, Jesus, that you'd come and fill us again with your power. We want to be those that are living with the help that comes from God, not striving out of our own strength and ability, but saying, God, I need you. (laughs) To be a mum or a dad, I need you. To be a good employee, to study, to fulfill these dreams and desires and these plans, God, I need you. I need you so much. Even just to be able to worship you, I need you, God. I just ask Holy Spirit that right now you be at work amongst us. That you just come and reignite dreams and hopes and desires in people's hearts. But more than anything, you'd reignite in people's hearts a passion, a desire for you, Jesus. Just a compelling vision of who Jesus is and what he's done. Holy Spirit, would you come and awaken that in our hearts, we pray. Amen.